0: Chapter 2 of Captain Stormfield's Visit to Heaven This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Captain Stormfield's Visit to Heaven By Mark Twain Chapter 2 Reading by KEVIN LAVERNE. I had been having considerable trouble with my wings. The day after I helped the choir, I made a dash or two with them, but was not lucky. First off, I flew thirty yards, and then fouled an Irishman, and brought him down—brought us both down, in fact. Next I had a collision with a bishop, and bowled him down, of course. We had some sharp words, and I felt pretty cheap— to come banging into a grave old person like that, with a million strangers looking on and smiling to themselves. I saw I hadn't got the hang of the steering, and so couldn't rightly tell where I was going to bring up when I started. I went afoot the rest of the day, and let my wings hang. Early next morning I went to a private place to have some practice. I got up on a pretty high rock, and got a good start, and went swooping down, aiming for a bush a little over three hundred yards off. But I couldn't seem to calculate for the wind, which was about two points abaft my beam. I could see I was going considerable to leeward of the bush, so I worked my starboard wing slow, and went ahead strong on the port one, but it wouldn't answer. I could see I was going to broach too, so I slowed down on both and lit. I went back to the rock, and took another chance at it. I aimed two or three points to starboard of the bush. Yes, more than that. Enough so as to make it nearly a headwind. I'd done well enough, but made pretty poor time. I could see, plain enough, that on a headwind, wings was a mistake. I could see that a body could sail pretty close to the wind, but he couldn't go in the wind's eye. I could see that if I wanted to go a-visiting any distance from home, and the wind was ahead. I might have to wait days, maybe, for a change. And I could see, too, that these things could not be any use at all in a gale. If you tried to run before the wind, you would make a mess of it. For there isn't any way to shorten sail, like reefing, you know. You have to take it all in, shut your feathers down flat to your sides. That would land you, of course. You could lay to, with your head to the wind. That is the best you could do, and right hard work you'd find it, too. If you tried any other game, you would found her, sure. I judge it was about a couple of weeks or so after this that I dropped old Sandy McWilliams a note one day. It was a Tuesday, and asked him to come over and take his manna and quails with me next day. And the first thing he did when he stepped in was to twinkle his eye in a sly way and say, Well, Cap, what you done with your wings? I saw in a minute that there was some sarcasm done up in that rag somewheres, but I never let on. I only says gone to the wash yes he says in a dry sort of way they mostly go to the wash about this time I've often noticed it fresh angels are powerful neat when do you look for em back day after tomorrow says I he winked at me and smiled says I sandy come out with it come no secrets among friends "'I notice you don't ever wear wings, and plenty others don't. "'I have been making an ass of myself. Is that it?' "'That is about the size of it. But it is no harm. "'We all do it at first. It's perfectly natural. "'You see, on earth we jump to such foolish conclusions as to things up here. "'In the pictures we always saw the angels with wings on, and that was all right. "'But we jumped to the conclusion that that was their way of getting around.' And that was all wrong. The wings ain't anything but a uniform, that's all. When they are in the field, so to speak, they always wear them. You never see an angel going with a message anywhere without his wings, any more than you would see a military officer presiding at a court-martial without his uniform, or a postman delivering letters, or a policeman walking his beat in plain clothes. But they ain't to fly with. The wings are for show, not for use.' Old, experienced angels are like officers of the regular army. They dress plain when they are off duty. New angels are like the militia, never shed the uniform, always fluttering and floundering around in their wings, butting people down, flapping here and there and everywhere, always imagining they are attracting the admiring eye. Well, they just think they are the very most important people in heaven. "'And when you see one of them come sailing around with one wing tipped up and t'other down, "'you make up your mind he is saying to himself, "'I wish Mary Ann in Arkansas could see me now. "'I reckon she'd wish she hadn't shook me. "'No, they're just for show, that's all, only just for show.' "'I judge you've got it about right, Sandy,' says I. "'Why, look at yourself,' says he. "'You ain't built for wings. No man is.' "'You know what a grist of years it took you to come here from the earth? "'And yet you were booming along faster than any cannonball could go. "'Suppose you had to fly that distance with your wings. "'Wouldn't eternity have been over before you got here? "'Certainly. "'Well, angels have to go to the earth every day, millions of them, "'to appear in visions to dying children and good people, you know. "'It's the heft of their business. "'They appear with their wings, of course, because they are on official service.' "'and because the dying persons wouldn't know they were angels if they hadn't wings. "'But do you reckon they fly with them? "'It stands to reason they don't. "'The wings would wear out before they got half "'Even the pin-feathers would be gone. "'The wing-frames would be as bare as kite-sticks before the paper is pasted on. "'The distances in heaven are billions of times greater. "'Angels have to go all over heaven every day. "'Could they do it with their wings alone? "'No, indeed.' They wear the wings for style, but they travel any distance in an instant by wishing. The wishing carpet of the Arabian Nights was a sensible idea, but our earthly idea of angels flying these awful distances with their clumsy wings was foolish. Our young saints, of both sexes, wear wings all the time, blazing red ones, and blue and green and gold, and variegated and rainbowed, and ring-streaked and striped ones, and nobody finds fault." "'It is suitable to their time of life. "'The things are beautiful, and they set the young people off. "'They are the most striking and lovely part of their outfit. "'And a halo don't begin.' "'Well,' says I, "'I've tucked mine away in the cupboard, "'and I allow to let them lay there till there's mud.' "'Yes, or a reception. "'What's that?' "'Well, you can see one to-night if you want to.' There's a barkeeper from Jersey City going to be received. Go on, tell me about it. This barkeeper got converted at a moody and sankey meeting in New York, and started home on the ferry boat, and there was a collision, and he got drowned. He is of a class that think all heaven goes wild with joy when a particularly hard lot like him is saved. They think all heaven turns out hosanna to welcome them, They think there isn't anything talked about in the realms of the blessed but their case for that day. This barkeeper thinks there hasn't been such another stir here in years as his coming is going to raise. And I've always noticed this peculiarity about a dead barkeeper. He not only expects all hands to turn out when he arrives, but he expects to be received with a torchlight procession. I reckon he is disappointed then. No, he isn't. No man is allowed to be disappointed here. Whatever he wants when he comes. That is, any reasonable and unsacrilegious thing he can have. There's always a few millions or billions of young folks around who don't want any better entertainment than to fill up their lungs and swarm out with their torches and have a high time over the barkeeper. It tickles the barkeeper till he can't rest. It makes a charming lark for the young folks. It don't do anybody any harm. It don't cost a rap, And it keeps up the place's reputation for making all comers happy and content. Very good. I'll be on hand and see them land the barkeeper. It is manners to go in full dress. You want to wear your wings, you know, and your other things. Which ones? Halo and harp and palm branch and all that. Well, says I, I reckon I ought to be ashamed of myself. "'But the fact is I left them laying around that day I resigned from the choir. "'I haven't got a rag to wear but this robe and the wings.' "'That's all right. "'You'll find they've been raked up and saved for you. "'Send for them.' "'I'll do it, Sandy. "'But what was it you were saying about unsacrilegious things, "'which people expect to get and will be disappointed about?' "'Oh, there are a lot of such things that people expect and don't get.' For instance, there's a Brooklyn preacher by the name of Talmage who is laying up a considerable disappointment for himself. He says every now and then in his sermons that the first thing he does when he gets to heaven will be to fling his arms around Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and kiss them and weep on them. There's millions of people down there on earth that are promising themselves the same thing. As many as 60,000 people arrive here every single day that want to run straight to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and hug them and weep on them. Now, mind you, 60,000 a day is a pretty heavy contract for those old people. If they were a mind to allow it, they wouldn't ever have anything to do, year in and year out, but stand up and be hugged and wept on 32 hours in the 24. They would be tired out and as wet as muskrats all the time. What would heaven be to them? It would be a mighty good place to get out of. You know that yourself. Those are kind and gentle old Jews but they ain't any fonder of kissing the emotional highlights of Brooklyn than you be. You mark my words, Mr. T.'s endearments are going to be declined, with thanks. There are limits to the privileges of the elect, even in heaven. Why, if Adam was to show himself to every newcomer that wants to call and gaze at him, and strike him for his autograph, he would never have time to do anything else but just that. Talmage has said he is going to give Adam some of his attentions, as well as A, I, and J. But he will have to change his mind about that. Do you think Talmage will really come here? Why, certainly he will. But don't you be alarmed. He will run with his own kind, and there is plenty of them. That is the main charm of heaven. There is all kinds here, which wouldn't be the case if you let the preachers tell it. Anybody can find the sort he prefers here, and he just lets the others alone, and they let him alone. When the deity builds a heaven, it is built right, and on a liberal plan. Sandy sent home for his things, and I sent for mine, and about nine in the evening we begun to dress. Sandy says, This is going to be a grand time for you, Stormy. Like as not some of the patriarchs will turn out. No, but will they? Like as not. Of course, they are pretty exclusive. They hardly ever show themselves to the common public. I believe they never turn out, except for an eleventh-hour convert. They wouldn't do it then. Only earthly tradition makes a grand show pretty necessary on that kind of an occasion. Do they all turn out, Sandy? Who? All the patriarchs? Oh, no! "'Hardly ever more than a couple. "'You will be here fifty thousand years, maybe more, "'before you get a glimpse of all the patriarchs and prophets. "'Since I have been here, Job has been to the front once, "'and once Ham and Jeremiah both at the same time. "'But the finest thing that has happened in my day "'was a year or so ago. "'That was Charles Peace's reception. "'Him they called the Bannercross murderer, an Englishman.' "'There were four patriarchs and two prophets on the grandstand that time. "'There hasn't been anything like it since Captain Kidd came. "'Abel was there, the first time in twelve hundred years. "'A report got around that Adam was coming. "'Well, of course, Abel was enough to bring a crowd all by himself. "'But there is nobody that can draw like Adam. "'It was a false report, but it got around anyway, as I say.' "'and it will be a long day before I see the like of it again. "'The reception was in the English department, of course, "'which is 811 million miles from the New Jersey line. "'I went along with a good many of my neighbors, "'and it was a sight to see, I can tell you. "'Flocks came from all the departments. "'I saw Eskimo there, and Tartars, Negroes, Chinamen, "'people from everywhere.' You will see a mixture like that in the grand choir the first day you land here but you hardly ever see it again there were billions of people when they were singing or hosanna-ing the noise was wonderful and even when their tongues were still the drumming of the wings was nearly enough to burst your head for all the sky was as thick as if it was snowing angels although adam was not there it was a great time anyway because we had three archangels on the grandstand It is a seldom thing that even one comes out. What did they look like, Sandy? Well, they had shining faces and shining robes and wonderful rainbow wings, and they stood eighteen feet high and wore swords and held their heads up in a noble way and looked like soldiers. Did they have halos? No, anyway, not the hoop kind. The archangels and the upper-class patriarchs wear a finer thing than that. "'It is a round, solid, splendid glory of gold that is blinding to look at. "'You have often seen a patriarch in a picture on earth with that thing on. "'You remember it. "'He looks as if he had his head in a brass platter. "'That don't give you the right idea of it at all. "'It is much more shining and beautiful. "'Did you talk with those archangels and patriarchs, Sandy? "'Who, I? "'Why, what can you be thinking about, Stormy? "'I ain't worthy to speak to such as they.' Is Talmage? Of course not. You have got the same mixed-up idea about these things that everybody has down there. I had it once, but I got over it. Down there they talk of the Heavenly King, and that is right. But then they go right on speaking as if this was a republic, and everybody was on a dead level with everybody else, and privileged to fling his arms around anybody he comes across, and be hail fellow well met with all the elect from the highest down." How tangled up and absurd that is! How are you going to have a republic under a king? How are you going to have a republic at all? Where the head of the government is absolute, holds his place forever, and has no parliament, no council to meddle or make in his affairs, nobody voted for, nobody elected, nobody in the whole universe with a voice in the government, nobody asked to take a hand in its matters, and nobody allowed to do it? Fine republic, ain't it? Well, yes... It is a little different from the idea I had, but I thought I might go around and get acquainted with the grandees anyway. Not exactly splice the main brace with them, you know, but shake hands and pass the time of day. Could Tom, Dick, and Harry call on the cabinet of Russia and do that? On Prince Gortschakoff, for instance? I reckon not, Sandy. Well, this is Russia, only more so there's not the shadow of a republic about it anywhere. There are ranks here. There are viceroys, princes, governors, sub-governors, sub-sub-governors, and a hundred orders of nobility, grading along down from grand ducal archangels, stage by stage, till the general level is struck, where there ain't any titles. Do you know what a prince of the blood is on earth? No. Well, a prince of the blood don't belong to the royal family exactly, and he don't belong to the mere nobility of the kingdom. He is lower than the one, and higher than to other. That's about the position of the patriarchs and prophets here. There's some mighty high nobility here, people that you and I ain't worthy to polish sandals for, and they ain't worthy to polish sandals for the patriarchs and prophets. That gives you a kind of an idea of their rank, don't it? You begin to see how high up they are, don't you? Just to get a two-minute glimpse of one of them is a thing for a body to remember and tell about for a thousand years. Why, Captain, just think of this. If Abraham was to set his foot down here by this door, there would be a railing set up around that foot track right away, and a shelter put over it, and people would flock here from all over heaven for hundreds and hundreds of years to look at it. "'Abraham is one of the parties that Mr. Talmage of Brooklyn "'is going to embrace and kiss and weep on when he comes. "'He wants to lay in a good stock of tears, you know, "'or five to one he will go dry before he gets a chance to do it.' "'Sandy,' says I, "'I had an idea that I was going to be equals with everybody here, too, "'but I will let that drop. "'It don't matter, and I am plenty happy enough anyway.' "'Captain, you are happier than you would be the other way.' These old patriarchs and prophets have got ages the start of you. They know more in two minutes than you know in a year. Did you ever try to have a sociable, improving time discussing winds and currents and variations of compass with an undertaker? I get your idea, Sandy. He couldn't interest me. He would be an ignoramus in such things. He would bore me, and I would bore him. You have got it. You would bore the patriarchs when you talked. And when they talked, they would shoot over your head. By and by you would say, Good morning, your eminence, I will call again. But you wouldn't. Did you ever ask the slush boy to come up in the cabin and take dinner with you? I get your drift again, Sandy. I wouldn't be used to such grand people as the patriarchs and prophets, and I would be sheepish and tongue-tied in their company, and mighty glad to get out of it. Sandy, which is the highest rank, patriarch or prophet? Oh, the prophets hold over the patriarchs. The newest prophet even is of a sight more consequence than the oldest patriarch. Yes, sir, Adam himself has to walk behind Shakespeare. Was Shakespeare a prophet? Of course he was, and so was Homer, and heaps more. But Shakespeare and the rest have to walk behind a common tailor from Tennessee by the name of Billings, and behind a horse doctor named Saka from Afghanistan. Jeremiah, and Billings, and Buddha walk together, side by side, right behind a crowd from planets not in our astronomy. Next come a dozen or two from Jupiter and other worlds. Next come Daniel, and Sokka, and Confucius. Next a lot from systems outside of ours. Next come Ezekiel, and Mohammed, Zoroaster, and a knife-grinder from ancient Egypt. Then there is a long string, and after them, away down toward the bottom, come Shakespeare and Homer and a shoemaker named Marais from the back settlements of France. Have they really rung in Mohammed and all those other heathens? Yes, they all had their message, and they all get their reward. The man who don't get his reward on earth needn't bother. He will get it here, sure. But why did they throw off on Shakespeare that way and put him way down there below those shoemakers and horse doctors and knife grinders? A lot of people nobody ever heard of that is the heavenly justice of it. They were not rewarded according to their deserts on earth, but here they get their rightful rank. That Taylor Billings from Tennessee wrote poetry that Homer and Shakespeare couldn't begin to come up to, but nobody would print it. Nobody read it but his neighbors, an ignorant lot, and they laughed at it. Whenever the village had a drunken frolic and a dance, they would drag him in and crown him with cabbage leaves and pretend to bow down to him. "'And one night, when he was sick and nearly starved to death, "'they had him out and crowned him, "'and then they rode him on a rail about the village, "'and everybody followed along, beating tin pans and yelling. "'Well, he died before morning. "'He wasn't ever expected to go to heaven, "'much less that there was going to be any fuss made over him, "'so I reckon he was a good deal surprised "'when the reception broke on him. "'Was you there, Sandy?' "'Bless you, no!' "'Why, didn't you know it was going to come off?' "'Well, I judge I did. "'It was the talk of these realms. "'Not for a day, like this barkeeper business, "'but for twenty years before the man died. "'Why, the mischief didn't you go, then? "'Now how you talk. "'The like of me go meddling around at the reception of a prophet? "'A mudsoul like me trying to push in "'and help receive an awful grandee like Edward J. Billings? "'Why, I should have been laughed at for a billion miles around. "'I shouldn't ever heard the last of it.' Well, who did go, then? Mighty few people that you and I will ever get a chance to see, Captain. Not a solitary commoner ever has the luck to see a reception of a prophet, I can tell you. All the nobility, and all the patriarchs and prophets, every last one of them, and all the archangels, and all the princes and governors and viceroys were there, and no small fry, not a single one. And, mind you, I'm not talking about only the grandees from our world— but the princes and patriarchs, and so on, from all the worlds that shine in our sky, and from billions more that belong in systems upon systems away outside of the one our sun is in. There were some prophets and patriarchs there that ours ain't a circumstance to, for rank and illustriousness and all that. Some were from Jupiter, and other worlds in our own system. But the most celebrated were three poets, Saw, Bo, and Soof from great planets in three different and very remote systems. These three names are common and familiar in every nook and corner of heaven, clear from one end of it to the other, fully as well known as the eighty supreme archangels, in fact, whereas our Moses and Adam and the rest have not been heard of outside of our world's little corner of heaven, except by a very few learned men scattered here and there and they always spell their names wrong, and get the performances of one mixed up with the doings of another, and they almost always locate them simply in our solar system, and think that is enough without going into little details such as naming the particular world they are from. It is like a learned Hindu showing off how much he knows by saying Longfellow lives in the United States, as if he lived all over the United States, and as if the country was so small you couldn't throw a brick there without hitting him. Between you and me, it does gravel me, the cool way people from those monster worlds outside our system snub our little world, and even our system. Of course, we think a good deal of Jupiter, because our world is only a potato to it, for size. But then there are worlds and other systems that Jupiter isn't even a mustard seed to. Like the planet Goobra, for instance, which you couldn't squeeze inside the orbit of Halley's Comet without straining the rivets. Tourists from Goobra... "'I mean parties that lived and died there, natives, "'come here now and then and inquire about our world. "'And when they find out it is so little "'that a streak of lightning can flash clear around it "'in the eighth of a second, "'they have to lean up against something to laugh. "'Then they screw a glass into their eye "'and go to examining us, "'as if we were a curious kind of foreign bug "'or something of that sort. "'One of them asked me how long our day was.' And when I told him it was twelve hours long, as a general thing, he asked me if people where I was from considered it worthwhile to get up and wash for such a day as that. That is the way with those Goober people. They can't seem to let a chance go by to throw it in your face that their day is three hundred and twenty-two of our years long. This young snob was just of age. He was six or seven thousand of his days old, say two million of ours, "'and he had all the puppy airs that belong to that time of life, "'that turning point when a person has got over being a boy, "'and yet ain't quite a man exactly. "'If it had been anywhere else but in heaven, "'I would have given him a piece of my mind. "'Well, anyway, Billings had the grandest reception "'that has been seen in thousands of centuries, "'and I think it will have a good effect. "'His name will be carried pretty far, "'and it will make our system talked about, "'and maybe our world, too.' and raise us in the respect of the general public of heaven. Why, look here. Shakespeare walked backwards before that tailor from Tennessee, and scattered flowers for him to walk on, and Homer stood behind his chair and waited on him at the banquet. Of course, that didn't go much for him there, amongst all those big foreigners from other systems, as they hadn't heard of Shakespeare or Homer either. But it would amount to considerable down there on our little earth, if they could know about it. I wish there was something in that miserable spiritualism, so we could send them word. That Tennessee village would set up a monument to Billings, then, and his autograph would outsell Satan's. Well, they had grand times at that reception. A small fry noble from Hoboken told me all about it, Sir Richard Duffer Baronet. What, Sandy, a nobleman from Hoboken? How was that? Easy enough. Easy enough. Duffer kept a sausage shop and never saved a cent in his life because he used to give all his spare meat to the poor in a quiet way. Not tramps, no, the other sort-the sort that will starve before they will beg-honest, square people out of work. Dick used to watch hungry looking men and women and children and track them home and find out all about them from the neighbors and then feed them and find them work. As nobody ever saw him give anything to anybody, he had the reputation of being mean. He died with it, too, and everybody said it was a good riddance. But the minute he landed here, they made him a baronet, and the very first words Dick the sausage-maker of Hoboken heard when he stepped upon the heavenly shore were, Welcome, Sir Richard Duffer. It surprised him some, because he thought he had reasons to believe he was pointed for a warmer climate than this one. All of a sudden the whole region fairly rocked under the crash of eleven hundred and one thunder blasts, all let off at once, and Sandy says, There, that's for the barkeep. I jumped up and says, Then let's be moving along, Sandy. We don't want to miss any of this thing, you know. Keep your seat, he says. He has only just telegraphed. That is all. How? That blast only means that he has been sighted from the signal station. "'He is off Sandy Hook. "'The committees will go down to meet him, now, and escort him in. "'There will be ceremonies and delays. "'They won't be coming up the bay for a considerable time yet. "'It is several billion miles away, anyway.' "'I could have been a barkeeper and a hard lot, just as well as not,' says I, "'remembering the lonesome way I arrived, "'and how there wasn't any committee, nor anything. "'I notice some regret in your voice,' says Sandy, "'and it is natural enough.' But let bygones be bygones. You went according to your lights, and it is too late now to mend the thing. No, let it slide, Sandy. I don't mind. But you've got a sandy hook here, too, have you? We've got everything here, just as it is below. All the states and territories of the Union, and all the kingdoms of the earth, and the islands of the sea are laid out here just as they are on the globe, all the same shape they are down there, and all graded to the relative size only each state and realm and island is a good many billion times bigger here than it is below there goes another blast what is that one for that is only another fort answering the first one they each fire eleven hundred and one thunder blasts at a single dash it is the usual salute for an eleventh hour guest a hundred for each hour and an extra one for the guest's sex if it was a woman we would know it by their leaving off the extra gun How do we know there's eleven hundred and one, Sandy, when they all go off at once? And yet we certainly do know. Our intellects are a good deal sharpened up here in some ways, and that is one of them. Numbers and sizes and distances are so great here that we have to be made so we can feel them. Our old ways of counting and measuring and ciphering wouldn't ever give us an idea of them, but would only confuse us and oppress us and make our heads ache. After some more talk about this, I says, Sandy, I notice that I hardly ever see a white angel. Where I run across one white angel, I strike as many as a hundred million copper-colored ones, people that can't speak English. How is that? Well, you will find it the same in any state or territory of the American corner of heaven you choose to go to. I have shot along, a whole week on a stretch, and gone millions and millions of miles, through perfect swarms of angels, without ever seeing a single white one, or hearing a word I could understand. You see, America was occupied a billion years and more, by Injuns and Aztecs, and that sort of folks, before a white man ever set his foot in it. During the first three hundred years after Columbus's discovery, there wasn't ever more than one good lecture audience of white people all put together in America. I mean the whole thing, British possessions and all. In the beginning of our century, there were only six million or seven million, say seven, twelve million or fourteen million in 1825, say twenty-three million in 1850, forty million in 1875, our death rate has always been twenty in one thousand per annum. Well, one hundred forty thousand died the first year of the century, two hundred eighty thousand the twenty fifth year, five hundred thousand the fiftieth year, about a million the seventy fifth year. Now, I am going to be liberal about this thing and consider that fifty million whites have died in America from the beginning up to today. Make it sixty if you want to. Make it a hundred million. It's no difference about a few millions one way or to other. Well, now you can see, yourself, that when you come to spread a little dab of people like that over these hundreds of billions of miles of American territory here in heaven, it is like scattering a ten-cent box of homeopathic pills over the Great Sahara and expecting to find them again. You can't expect us to amount to anything in heaven, and we don't. Now that is a simple fact, and we have got to do the best we can with it. The learned men from other planets and other systems come here and hang around a while when they are touring around the kingdom, and then go back to their own section of heaven and write a book of travels, and they give America about five lines in it. And what do they say about us? They say this wilderness is populated with a scattering few hundred thousand billions of red angels, with now and then a curiously complicated diseased one you see they think we whites and the occasional nigger are engines that have been bleached out or blackened by some leprous disease or other for some peculiarly rascally sin mind you it is a mighty sour pill for us all my friend even the modestest of us let alone the other kind that think they are going to be received like a long-lost government bond and hug abraham into the bargain i haven't asked you any of the particulars captain but i judge it goes without saying If my experience is worth anything, that there wasn't much of a hoorah made over you when you arrived, now was there? Don't mention it, Sandy, says I, coloring up a little. I wouldn't have had the family see it for any amount you are a mind to name. Change the subject, Sandy, change the subject. Well, do you think of settling in the California Department of Bliss? I don't know. I wasn't calculating on doing anything really definite in that direction till the family come. I thought I would just look around, meantime, in a quiet way, and make up my mind. Besides, I know a good many dead people, and I was calculating to hunt them up and swap a little gossip with them about friends and old times, and one thing or another, and ask them how they like it here as far as they have got.' I reckon my wife will want to camp in the California range, though, because most all her departed will be there, and she likes to be with folks she knows. Don't you let her! You see what the Jersey district of heaven is, for whites. Well, the Californian district is a thousand times worse. It swarms with a mean kind of leather-headed, mud-colored angels, and your nearest white neighbor is likely to be a million miles away. What a man mostly misses in heaven is company.' company of his own sort and color and language. I have come near settling in the European part of heaven once or twice on that account. Well, why didn't you, Sandy? Oh, various reasons. For one thing, although you see plenty of whites there, you can't understand any of them hardly, and so you go about as hungry for talk as you do here. I like to look at a Russian, or a German, or an Italian, I even like to look at a Frenchman, if I ever have the luck to catch him engaged in anything that ain't indelicate. But looking don't cure the hunger. What you want is talk. Well, there's England, Sandy, the English district of heaven. Yes, but it is not so very much better than this end of the heavenly domain. As long as you run across Englishmen born this side of three hundred years ago, you are all right.' But the minute you get back to Elizabeth's time, the language begins to fog up, and the further back you go, the foggier it gets. I had some talk with one Langland and a man by the name of Chaucer, old-time poets, but it was no use. I couldn't quite understand them, and they couldn't quite understand me. I have had letters from them since, but it is such broken English I can't make it out. Back of those men's time, the English are just simply foreigners, nothing more, nothing less." They talk Danish, German, Norman French, and sometimes a mixture of all three. Back of then, they talk Latin, and ancient British, Irish, and Gaelic. And then, back of these, come billions and billions of pure savages that talk a gibberish that Satan himself couldn't understand. The fact is, where you strike one man in the English settlements that you can understand, you wade through awful swarms that talk something you can't make head nor tail of. You see every country on earth has been overlaid so often in the course of a billion years with different kinds of people and different sorts of languages that this sort of mongrel business was bound to be the result in heaven. Sandy, says I, did you see a good many of the great people history tells about? Yes, plenty. I saw kings and all sorts of distinguished people. Do the kings rank just as they did below? No. A body can't bring his rank up here with him. Divine Right is a good enough earthly romance, but it don't go here. Kings drop down to the general level as soon as they reach the realms of grace. I knew Charles the Second very well, one of the most popular comedians in the English section, Draw's first rate. There are better, of course, people that were never heard of on earth, but Charles is making a very good reputation indeed, and is considered a rising man. Richard the Lionhearted is in the prize ring and coming into considerable favor. Henry the Eighth is a tragedian and the scenes where he kills people are done to the very life. Henry the Sixth keeps a religious book stand. Did you ever see Napoleon, Sandy? Often, sometimes in the Corsican range, sometimes in the French. He always hunts up a conspicuous place and goes frowning around with his arms folded and his field glass under his arm, looking as grand, gloomy, and peculiar as his reputation calls for and very much bothered because he don't stand as high here for a soldier as he expected to. Why, who stands higher? Oh, a lot of people we never heard of before. The shoemaker and horse doctor and knife-grinder kind, you know, clodhoppers from goodness knows where that never handled a sword or fired a shot in their lives. But the soldiership was in them, though they never had a chance to show it. But here they take their right place, and Caesar, and Napoleon, and Alexander have to take a back seat. The greatest military genius our world ever produced was a bricklayer from somewhere back of Boston, died during the Revolution, by the name of Absalom Jones. Wherever he goes, crowds flock to see him. You see... "'Everybody knows that if he had had a chance, "'he would have shown the world some generalship "'that would have made all generalship before "'look like child's play and prentice work. "'But he never got a chance. "'He tried heaps of times to enlist as a private, "'but he had lost both thumbs and a couple of front teeth, "'and the recruiting sergeant wouldn't pass him. "'However, as I say, everybody knows now what he would have been, "'and so they flock by the million to get a glimpse of him "'whenever they hear he is going to be anywhere.' "'Caesar, and Hannibal, and Alexander, and Napoleon are all on his staff, "'and ever so many more great generals. "'But the public hardly care to look at them when he is around. "'Boom! "'There goes another salute. "'The barkeeper's off quarantine now. "'Sandy and I put on our things. "'Then we made a wish, and in a second we were at the reception-place. "'We stood on the edge of the ocean of space, "'and looked out over the dimness, but couldn't make out anything.' Close by us was the grandstand, tier on tier of dim thrones rising up toward the zenith. From each side of it spread away the tiers of seats for the general public. They spread away for leagues and leagues. You couldn't see the ends. They were empty and still, and hadn't a cheerful look, but looked dreary, like a theater before anybody comes, gas turned down. Sandy says, "'We'll sit here and wait.' We'll see the head of the procession come in sight away off yonder pretty soon now. Says I, It's pretty lonesome, Sandy. I reckon there's a hitch somewheres. Nobody but just you and me? It ain't much of a display for the barkeeper. Don't you fret. It's all right. There'll be one more gunfire, then you'll see. In a little while, we noticed a sort of lightish flush away off on the horizon. "'Head of the torchlight procession,' says Sandy. "'It spread and got lighter and brighter. "'Soon it had a strong glare like a locomotive headlight. "'It kept on getting brighter and brighter "'till it was like the sun peeping over the horizon line at sea. "'The big red rays shot high up into the sky. "'Keep your eyes on the grandstand and the miles of seats. "'Sharp,' says Sandy, "'and listen for the gunfire. "'Just then it burst out.' BOOM, 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 like a million thunderstorms in one, and made the whole heavens rock. Then there was a sudden and awful glare of light all about us, and in that very instant every one of the millions of seats was occupied, and as far as you could see in both directions was just a solid pack of people, and the place was all splendidly lit up. It was enough to take a body's breath away. Sandy says, That is the way we do it here. No time fooled away. Nobody straggling in after the curtain's up. Wishing is quicker work than traveling. A quarter of a second ago, these folks were millions of miles from here. When they heard the last signal, all they had to do was wish, and here they are. The prodigious choir struck up. We long to hear thy voice, to see thee face to face. It was noble music, but the uneducated chipped in and spoilt it. "'just as the congregations used to do on earth. "'The head of the procession began to pass now, "'and it was a wonderful sight. "'It swept along, thick and solid five hundred thousand angels abreast, "'and every angel carrying a torch and singing. "'The whirring thunder of the wings made a body's head ache. "'You could follow the line of the procession back, "'and slanting upward into the sky, "'far away in a glittering snaky rope, "'till it was only a faint streak in the distance.' The rush went on and on, for a long time, and at last, sure enough, along comes the barkeeper. And then everybody rose, and a cheer went up that made the heavens shake, I tell you. He was all smiles, and had his halo tilted over one ear in a cocky way, and was the most satisfied-looking saint I ever saw. While he marched up the steps of the grandstand, the choir struck up. The whole wide heaven groans, and waits to hear that voice. There were four gorgeous tents standing side by side in the place of honor, on a broad railed platform in the center of the grandstand, with a shining guard of honor round about them. The tents had been shut up all this time. As the barkeeper climbed along up, bowing and smiling to everybody, and at last got to the platform, these tents were jerked up aloft all of a sudden, and we saw four noble thrones of gold, all caked with jewels. And in the two middle ones sat old white-whiskered men, and in the two others a couple of the most glorious and gaudy giants, with platter halos and beautiful armor. All the millions went down on their knees, and stared, and looked glad, and burst out into a joyful kind of murmurs. They said, "'Two archangels! That is splendid! Who can the others be?' The archangels gave the barkeeper a stiff little military bow." The two old men rose. One of them said, Moses and Esau welcome thee. And then all four vanished, and the thrones were empty. The barkeeper looked a little disappointed, for he was calculating to hug these old people, I judge. But it was the gladdest and proudest multitude you ever saw, because they had seen Moses and Esau. Everybody was saying, Did you see them? I did. Esau's face was to me. But I saw Moses full in the face just as plain as I see you this minute. The procession took up the barkeeper and moved on with him again, and the crowd broke up and scattered. As we went along home, Sandy said it was a great success, and the barkeeper would have a right to be proud of it forever. And he said we were in luck, too, and we might attend receptions for forty thousand years to come, and not have a chance to see a brace of such grand moguls as Moses and Esau we found afterwards that we had come near seeing another patriarch and likewise a genuine prophet besides but at the last moment they sent regrets sandy said there would be a monument put up there where moses and esau had stood with the date and circumstances and all about the whole business and travellers would come for thousands of years and gawk at it and climb over it and scribble their names on it the end of chapter 2 OF CAPTAIN STORMFIELD'S VISIT TO HEAVEN.